Good morning, Grace. Happy Father's Day to all our fathers and all of our consultants. We appreciate you and all that you do for us. Uh, we don't say it enough, but happy Father's Day, and I hope you guys have a blessed Father's Day and you get to go home and get to do whatever you want to. Today is your day. Um, but uh, I know I wanted this, this message to, to kind of be a Father's Day message. Uh, but man, I've I listened on vacation. I listened to uh, uh, Teresa's message. That was a, a difficult one. Jeff's message was very difficult, but truth, so much truth in, in both of those. And the sermon that Dennis started out with, we see this, this king that we've wanted for so long, and to finally be a good king, start to mess up and start to fall. It's like, what, David, you're supposed to be our hero, and, and you're not being that type of person that we need you to be. And we see a, a repeated pattern in David's mistakes. And this is a, a fitting Father's Day sermon because it is about a father. And it's about a father and how he, how he loves, but he still makes mistakes. And I think we all can relate to that. It's, it's a tough one. And we see a, a tragic event in David's life and his family's life. We see his son Amnon, his oldest son, for some odd reason, fall in love or fall in lust with his sister. And then he violates her. He takes away her innocence. And because David doesn't see justice through, he doesn't punish him, then we see his younger son, Absalom, go off and do the same thing that David did and had him killed. And we see this repeated pattern of not doing the right thing. And I don't know about you, but I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, that guy got what he deserved. I would have done the same thing. That's justice. Not always right. But we see David here in, in chapter 14. He's, he's a king in, in mourning. He's mourning the loss of his son. He's mourning the loss of innocence from his daughter, Tamar, that will never be the same. She'll never be what God called her to be because of what her brother done to her. Not only that, is he, he's mourning a son that has exiled himself. That he spent years away from home on the run. So we see King David here. He's trapped between the demands of love and the demands of justice. Or the demands of love and the demands of discipline. Just like Jeff said last week, he, he didn't want to talk about what he wanted to talk about. But God made him. I didn't want to talk about discipline today. I don't. But it's something that we have to talk about. It's something that, that God wants us to know. And so David here, he's trapped between this rock and this hard place. Do I, do I discipline my son or do I just forgive him? And we might think the same thing this Father's Day, that, that if I discipline my kid, if I, if I discipline my son or daughter, will they resent me? Will, will they hate me? Will they listen to me? Or do I just forgive them and accept them? And ignore the situation. Ignore the discipline that they deserve. And that's what David's facing here in chapter 14. That, that he's in mourning. He just wants his son to come back. He just wants his son to come back. He wants everything to be okay again. And we see that David in his own 
disobedience and his own mistakes, his, he can see his family start to go in that same direction. So you may be here today and you're thinking, I'm going through the same thing. Do I discipline my child or do I just welcome them back with open arms and sweep it under the rug and pretend it's okay? So Joab, his right-hand man, leader of his army, he's seeing this struggle in his king. He's like, I've got, I've got to fix this. David's not being the king that we need him to be. I'm afraid for my job. I'm afraid for the kingdom. So he decides to intervene. Something's got to be done here. Something, something's got to happen. See, Joab's heart was not for David. It wasn't for Absalom. It wasn't for re- reconciliation. It was for himself. And it was especially not God. And so he comes up with this plan. And these plans are not pure. Sure, he cares for David, but he's more worried about himself. He's more worried about his job. He's thinking, he, but he's not going to listen to me. He's not going to listen to what I have to say. He's only going to listen to a woman. Only a woman could change his mind. So Joab remembers a tactic that the prophet Nathan used against him. Teresa told you guys that, hey, that worked. That was a pretty good tactic. I think I'm going to take that and I'm going to use it. I'm going to play with David's emotions here because David is an emotional guy. And if an an emotional person, if you can tug at their heartstrings a little bit, maybe I can get him to reconcile with his son. Maybe I can get him to forgive his son and we can all go back to normal and business can go back to business. So he comes up with this plan. And he becomes a director of a play, this, this deceivement. And he hires an award-winning actress to play this part. So the day's sermon is called The Great Pretender. The Great Pretender. Before we get into the word today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. Father, we thank you for being a godly father, a fatherly example that we all can strive to be more like. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for what you're going to teach us, what you're going to reveal to us. Father, just pray that you open up our hearts and open up our minds and our ears so we can see what you want to tell us today. Father, we thank you. We love you. You are welcome here. Flow through this room. Let these words be your words and not mine. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start in verse 1 today. Again, Joab comes up with this this great plan. Verse 1. It says, Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. He said to her, pretend you are mourning. Wear mourning clothes and don't put on lotions or don't anoint yourself with oil. Act like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I'm about to tell you. Then Joab told her what to say. When the woman from Tekoa approached the king, she bowed with her face to the ground in deep respect and cried out, Oh, king, help me. Help me. So Joab's heart was for himself. It wasn't for David, and it especially was not for God. It was all about himself. See, Nathan's story, Nathan's story to David was ordained by the Holy Spirit. See, this plan of Joab's was political. It was purely political for his gain. 
And I think that's us all too often, how we put too much stock on what people say, the people that we listen to on the radio, the, the people that we see on TV, the people that we listen to on social media, the TikTok videos we watch, the YouTube videos that we watch. We put too much stock into other things that are not ordained by God. And David's going to put trust in this actress. So the enemy of us all is an actor. He's the great pretender, the great deceiver. And he wants to deceive us. And there's a lesson here. We can't allow ourselves to be fooled by how something or someone looks and how they're packaged. This grieving widow, she's no grieving widow. She's an actress. She's a great pretender. But we have to look beyond the surface and dig deeper into God's word and his Holy Spirit and what he's telling us. That we have to discern from those things. And Jeff said last week, we have to be careful of who we let speak into our lives. We also have to be careful of who we listen to and who we let speak into our lives. Is it biblical truth or is it, are they just saying stuff to make us feel better for that moment? Are they just fixing things for that moment? The great pretender. She probably put those clothes on and got the lemon juice out and she's squirting in her eyes and her makeup's running. Oh, king, help me. And the king in mourning can relate to this. Verse 5 through 11. What's the trouble, the king asked. Alas, I'm a widow. My husband is dead. My two sons had a fight out in the field. And since no one was there to stop it, one of them was killed. Now the rest of the family is demanding, let us have your son we will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. They want to extinguish the only coal I have left. And my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. He says, leave it to me, the king told her. Go home and I will see to it that no one touches him. Oh, thank you, my lord, the king, the woman from Kohov replied. If you are criticized for helping me, let the blame fall on me and on my father's house. And let the king and his throne be innocent. If anyone objects, the king said, bring him to me, and I can assure you he will never harm you again. Then she said, please swear to me by the Lord your God that you won't let anyone take vengeance against my son. I want no more bloodshed. Listen to what David says here. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair on your son's head will be disturbed. She pleads to David, please, please spare my son. So she makes the request that, and that the demand for love should trump the demand for justice. And so that's what we all want in these situations that we've been dealing with the last three weeks. We want justice. We want, we want the guilty party to be punished. And David here, in his mourning, in this, in this veil of pretending He's wanting to show mercy. He wants to show mercy. And she's telling him that love should trump justice. This actress, this deceiver, this pretender is pulling at his heartstrings. She's playing all the right notes. She's saying all the right words. She's doing all the right things. She looks the part. He feels for her. He's like, man, I can, I can relate with this woman. I can, that's kind of how I feel. 
She's trying to sway his heart and convince him that if he does make the wrong decision, if David does make the wrong decision, if he punishes him son, his, his son, or if he doesn't reconcile with his son, that he's going to lose much, that he's going to lose a lot. It's going to cost him a lot. So in his own conviction here, he's stuck between our own condemnation, his own condemnation of what he's going through, and he's backed himself into a corner. And now he's brought the Lord's name into it. As surely as the Lord lives. And he's probably like, don't bring me into this plan. But he's brought the Lord's name into it. And now she turns the table. She has him trapped. She has him right where she wants him. It worked for Nathan. And now Joab's plan is working. This morning king. This king that has lost a lot, is, falls for the mourning widow, falls for the actress. Verse 12. She has him right where she wants him. Please allow me to ask one more thing of my lord the king, she said. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me. You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you refuse to bring home your own banished son. Remember, this is a wise woman, and there's a lot of truth to this. But as I read this, you're going to see a lot of red flags. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. But with David, he realizes that there's a lot of truth to this. This is what she says. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out onto the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep away life. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. I have come to plead with my Lord the King because people have threatened me. I said to myself, perhaps the King will listen to me and rescue us from those who would cut us off from the inheritance God has given us. Yes, my Lord the King will give us peace of mind again. I know that you are like an angel of God in discerning good from evil. May the Lord your God be with you. So she's laying on thick here. She wants David to feel guilty. See, their goal isn't, isn't justice or forgiveness or reconciliation. It wasn't righteousness. It wasn't so that David would do the right thing. It was for their gain. It was strictly political. Joab just wanted his life to get back in order. He didn't want the kingdom to fall. This actress is just doing what she was paid to do. She's like, what will happen to us? We don't seek the counsel of people that don't seek the counsel of God first. But see, in this, in this veil of pretending, this actress, this great pretender, there's some, there's some truths to it. That, yes, we are all going to die. We are all going to die. And yes, we are, our lives are like water spilled on the ground. Could you imagine dumping out water on the ground and then trying to pick it back up again and put it in the container? It's impossible. That life is short. That we cannot live with regrets in our lives. That we cannot live our lives without reconciliation. That, that we reconcile with whoever is in our hearts. Whoever we're struggling with. The people that, that deserve forgiveness. The people that you need forgiveness from. That we can't wait too late. That life is short. 
And she's saying, David, life is short. Life is too short for you just to let your son live outside the kingdom without you forgiving him. That life is too short. And it's unexpected. So reconcile before it's too late. Embrace him before it's too late. Forgive him before it's too late. Yeah, God takes, does not take away life. God does not take away life. See, our, our earthly bodies, yes, they may die. But our soul will live on eternity in one or two places. Amen. So, she's right. The Lord does not take away life. You're going to spend either eternity with him, if he lives in your heart and you've repented, and he is your savior, you're going to live forever with him in heaven. If you don't, then you're going to spend your eternity and the rest of your life, eternity in hell. So what I love about this is the Lord does not prefer judgment as his primary answer to wrong or his primary answer to sin. That he does make a way for us. That he doesn't just shut the door on mercy. See, right now King David has kind of shut that door on mercy on his son. That if if God really wanted to kill and punish Absalom, he would already have done it. If he wanted to kill Absalom, he would have done it. See, what David's finally realizing here that Amnon is gone. My son is gone. My daughter has been violated. And her life is no longer what it was supposed to be. And I can't change that. And Absalom is gone from, from the kingdom And he realizes that, that killing Absalom will not bring him back. It won't bring him back. The third thing that the, that the actress told him, that God has provided a sacrificial system so that the sinner, that you and me, can experience grace and forgiveness. That, that God's arms are open wide for the sinner's. That God's arms are welcoming and open wide. That door of grace is wide open. Why aren't yours, David? So I could just imagine his conviction here. I could just imagine what he's feeling here. Ah, I can relate to this woman. Wait, wait a minute. I am this situation. And his eyes were opened. You know, after, after she wipes away her fake tears, it's like, hey, if you're going to do this for me, why can't you do it for your own son? Why can't you do it for your own son? And he's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Verse 18. I must know one thing, the king replied, and tell me the truth. Yes, my lord, the king, she responded. Did Joab put you up to this? <laughs> and the woman replied. And I love how she, because this is, if I'm caught, this is how I would respond, right? And she's caught. My lord the king, how can I deny it? No one can hide anything from you. Yes, Joab sent me and told me what to say. He did it to place the matter before you in a different light. But you are as wise as an angel of God. And you understand everything that happens among us. So the king sent for Joab and told him, All right, go and bring back the young man Absalom. 
So Joab bowed before his face to the ground in deep respect and said, At last I know that I have gained your approval, my lord the king, for you have granted me this request. Then Joab went to Geshur, where he was hiding, and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. You can come home, Absalom, but I don't want to see you. So Absalom did what they did not see the king. So here we see a, a, a partial, kind of a halfway reconciliation. A partial forgiveness. Yeah, Absalom, it's okay if you come home. And Joab's going to be happy. He's going to get off my case. But I don't want to see you. I'm not ready to forgive you yet. So this is a victory for the great pretender. And it's a victory for Joab, just not for David and his family. See, there's a, a huge factor missing in this partial reconciliation. There's one part that was missing from the woman's logic. Yes, life is short. Yeah, God did makes a way back. But she left out one thing. And that's repentance. Repentance was missing. Repentance is necessary for reconciliation. Repentance is necessary for reconciliation. And see, you can't, you can't read this scripture and not think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son goes off and he spends all of his inheritance doing the things that David's sons were doing, living the life. And the father's always out looking for him. And he shows up and he runs to his father and his father's arms were open wide. There was forgiveness in his heart. There was reconciliation. There was repentance in his heart. And so we see this Old Testament son. He came home but there was zero repentance. See, two rebel sons came home. But only one came back with repentance in his heart. Only one came back with repentance in his heart. One father had his arms open wide and the other father had his door shut. Absalom comes home in body but not in heart. See, David and Absalom here, they're faking it. And I think all too often as fathers, sometimes we, we fake it. Yeah, it's okay. Whatever. And we just sweep it under the rug. That's kind of what David's doing here. You can't fake it. We always have to be willing to forgive and ask forgiveness when we need to ask forgiveness. See, David brings him back. David brings him back, but you've got you to gotta stay locked up in your apartment. You're in house arrest. I don't want to see you. See, David is stern and, and stubborn and shuts his son out. Shuts him out. Now, Absalom, when he comes back, and all the years he's been gone, it's like five years now that has went by. And you can imagine all those seeds of resentment that has started to, to rise up in him. All the hatred, like my dad doesn't love me, my dad doesn't want to see me, my dad's not correcting me, he, I don't deserve to be king. All these things he's thinking about, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care for me, he doesn't want to see me. 
And Absalom here, it says that he's a father. Absalom is a father himself. He actually names his daughter Tamar. Partially because he wanted to honor his sister, but he also wanted people to remember what his brother did. And probably the justification of what he did to his brother. But Absalom, he's, he's full of hatred right now. He's, he's resenting David. Because David, from the very beginning, should have dealt with it. Should have disciplined Absalom. I'm saying he should have killed him. But repentance is necessary for reconciliation. There's no repentance. We see in this, in this next scripture that Absalom, he's tired of it. He's like, I want to talk to my dad. I want to see my dad. And he sends for Joab. And he's like, Joab, I need you to go to me, for me, to my dad. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. He's like, please, go and talk to my father for me. He's like, no, I'm not doing it. So Absalom doing the Absalom thing goes and sets fire to his fields. And I think some of us in here today can relate to Absalom. You get so mad and so frustrated that you start doing things that are not right. And it's starting to snowball. And it gets worse and worse. There's no true reconciliation. See, reconciliation without repentance is a recipe for a repeated offense. So if your son or your daughter keeps doing the wrong thing, the wrong thing, and the wrong thing, there's probably no reconciliation there. There's no repentance there. See, David and Absalom, they're going through this. He sets fire to Joab's field to get his attention. He's got it. Finishing up to chapter 31. It says, then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, why did your servant set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well just stay there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king and the king kissed him this was not a kiss of it's okay son I love you I think this kiss was and I think if I'm in Absalom's shoes I take this kiss as a goodbye kiss like it's partial but goodbye son that's what he's thinking and this is gonna this is gonna really come back to bite David Because these seeds of resentment, because there's no reconciliation, there's no repentance, there's no true justice, there's no true obedience, there's no true discipline. You're going to find out in later chapters, Absalom's going to turn against his father. What we need to see here is delayed discipline sets the stage for compromised discipline. Delayed discipline sets the stage for compromised discipline. That David has put up all these things. He's put up all these things, and now it's blowing up in his face. Instead of dealing with the situations that he should have dealt with at that moment, 
It's not ending well. See, David was making it a habit of ignoring God's justice for himself and his family. See, David was king. He was upholding the law for everyone else except his own family. And people were starting to see that. And it turned him into a dysfunctional family. This portrait into David's life shows us and teaches us how hard it is to do the right thing. How hard it is to do the right thing. And the Holy Spirit's always there to remind us that that's not easy. But see, he equips us with the tools that we need to do the right thing. That we don't keep falling into the same traps that keep us from doing what is right. See, sometimes we think, just like David here, that, that if we do the wrong thing, if we do the wrong thing, it may make it easier. If I just sweep this under the rug and just say, yeah, it's okay, then it's all going to be okay. That if we don't do the hard thing and discipline our kids, that it's going to be okay. Sometimes we think that doing the wrong thing will bring better results. That we feel that if we do the right thing, if we feel that we do the right thing, we're going to lose a lot. And see, many of us as parents, we're going to come to these crossroads. Do I do the right thing or do I just sweep it under the rug? Fathers, many of us are going to come to this crossroad. Are we going to do the right thing? Are we just going to ignore it? What would we do? See, David's struggling with this. Do I, do I execute justice against my son? Or do I ignore it and do I embrace him? See, all through this chapter, justice and love oppose each other. They oppose each other the entire time. They never meet. They never meet. So if you meet the demands of justice, does that mean that you're not loving? And if you're loving, does that mean that you cannot meet the demands of justice? Can you not be both? If we, if we discipline, does that mean that we don't love? If we love, does that mean that we won't discipline? See, as parents, we discipline because we love. And we repent because we love. And we, we discipline because we want to keep our children safe. And I experienced this, this my own. Just like Jeff said last week, we, we, we don't want to model what our kids do in our lives. That we can't say, you know, do as I say, not as I do, because they're going to do as we do. David's seen this with his own family. They're doing the same things that he did. So if we want to discipline our kids and them accept that discipline, we have to discipline ourselves. We have to be willing to discipline ourselves. We have to be willing to, to ask forgiveness when we need to ask forgiveness. Just this past week, I hurt someone that I so care about so much. And it, and it hit me like a ton of bricks because I knew what I was going to be talking about. That if, I, if, if I'm supposed to discipline and raise my son... How can I act like that? So I had, to, I had to repent. See, you cannot be reconciled without repentance. I had to say, I'm sorry. And I had to, my son see me say, I'm sorry. Because if we want our children to respond to discipline, 
We have to be disciplined ourselves. If we want our, our children to read the Bible, they have to see us reading the Bible. If we want our children to pray daily, they need to see us praying daily. If, they, if we want our children to see us, if we want our children to praise God in everything, they have to see us praising God in everything. If we want our children to repent, they have to see us repenting. Disciplining our children starts with disciplining ourselves. That we have to model reading the Bible. That we have to model prayer. Jesus tells us in Luke, he says, so watch yourself. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. You must forgive. See, David de delayed discipline, and now Absalom will continue to do what is wrong. Justice and love never get together in this chapter. Maybe it's not about justice. But see, there is a place where justice, justice kissed love, and that's the cross on Calvary. That that's where justice and love meet in perfect harmony. See, when God forgives us, it's not at the expense of justice. He doesn't suspend it for the sake of love. He satisfies it. Jesus satisfied it on the cross. That, that in our sin, in our disobedience, in our brokenness, when we all deserve judgment, we all deserved judgment. He took it all on the cross for us. And when he sees us, when people say, how can, how can he forgive you? How can he forgive you? How can, how can you repent and him forgive you for all you've done? And all you have to do is plead the blood. That's where our justice comes from. He satisfies it. There must be repentance. The law cannot be ignored but he satisfied it on the cross. C.S. Lewis said that man cannot be made good by the law. The law itself is not ever going to make us good enough. He satisfied that on the cross for us. John 10, Jesus tells us that no one can take away my life. That I lay it down freely. He voluntarily laid his life down for us. It was his idea. And see, that's what the scripture shows us, is that Jesus is the better David. See, when he brings the banished home, when he brings us home, he doesn't just keep you at a distance. See, David, when he brought Absalom home, he kept him at a distance. He kept him at a distance. I want you to be home, but I don't want to see you. Jesus is the better David. His arms are open wide and he wants to be close to you. He wants to be in your presence. He wants you in his embrace. In closing, just a couple months ago, you know, teaching's hard, but teaching your own son is even harder. And one day in class, it was, it was time to leave and I'm lining up all the car riders 
And I was like, all right, car riders, line up. And Carson starts standing up. And he's like, son, where are you going? I said, you're not a car rider today. Guess I am. You know, like, he's, he's 10, but he acts like he's 18 sometimes. I'm like, no, son, you're, you're not a car rider. You're riding home with me and mom. We're both here today. You told me I was a car rider. And he's starting to get so upset. Now, at this point, I'm starting to get upset. I'm like, no, you're not a car rider. I'm like, why you arguing? Quit arguing, right? And I, I look around and I see all the kids, you know, they're, they're like, what's, what's going on here? And, and I see that, that in Carson's our conversation that he's, I don't want him to be embarrassed. I, I, don't, I don't want his kids to see him like that because he was starting to get so emotional. Like he was adamant that he was a car rider for some reason. I'm like, you're not a car rider. And he finally kept going. I said, just go to your mom's room. And they're all like, oh. Let's go to your mom's room. And I, I be like, David, I, I do not want to see you. Go to your mom's room. And as soon as he left, as soon as he left, all I could think about was, man, I want him back in my presence. Because I know he's upset. And I longed for him to be back in my presence. Yeah, I disciplined him. He had consequences. But he repented. Repentance is necessary for reconciliation. The whole time he was gone, I just wanted him to come back. That as soon as I got him out of my presence, I wanted him back again. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He just wants us to be in his presence. See, Jesus volunteered his life on the cross so that you that were banished, you that were outcast, you that, that thought you weren't good enough could come home. That you could come home. And not only come home, but be in his presence. He wants to be close to you today. In the story that we see, we see a false reconciliation. We see a false restoration. But Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, gives us full restoration. And he relentlessly pursues his lost sheep. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your arms always being open wide to us. Father, when we deserve judgment, when we deserved death, you satisfied it. You satisfied the law for us on the cross. That we don't ignore the law, but you satisfied it. And Lord, you made a way that if we just repent, when we repent, we're reconciled to you. And that our eternity is secure. Father, if there's anyone here today that, that feels like they're on the run from you, that they feel like they're exiled from you, that Father, just show them that your arms are open wide today. Father, I just lift up all the dads in this room today. Our relationships with our children might not be the best. There may be some reconciliation that needs to happen. There may be some repentance that needs to happen. Father, this life, it is short. We don't have time 
don't have time for regret. We don't have time to put things off. Father, just give us the courage to ask forgiveness. Father, give us the courage to make tough decisions. Give us the, the courage to discipline when we need to discipline. Give us the strength to discipline ourselves when we need to discipline ourselves. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we pray. Amen.